I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Spencer Day joins me now. The acclaimed singer and songwriter has a new album out today, in fact, Broadway by Day. It's available on all the streaming platforms and on CD in stores and online. It features songs not usually heard in a pop-jazz context. There are arrangements of classic Broadway songs as well as less frequently heard ones out of uh, the context of the show done in Mr. Day's style, sometimes surprising too. There are arrangements done in swing as well as Latin. I'll ask Spencer about these songs and what it's like to cover them as he has. Some of the tracks on the album include One and What I Did for Love from A Chorus Line, Bally High from South Pacific, I'd Be Surprisingly Good for You from Evita, It uh, Only Takes a Moment from Hello Dolly featuring Jane Monheit, as well as If I Loved You from Carousel, which features a saxophone solo by Dave Cause and more. Spencer Day is the uh, number one billboard jazz pop singer and songwriter who is acclaimed for his witty and sophisticated pop songs. His 2018 album Angel City spawned two hit singles, which were uh, big hits online and elsewhere. His earlier album Vagabond reached number 11 on the billboard album chart and stayed stayed on there for 47 weeks. He even performed the lead single Till You Come to Me on the CBS Late Late Show. Visit SpencerDay.com for more. This new album is from Club 44 Records. He joined me from his home in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, 10 days ago. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Spencer Day. Mr. Day, good morning. Hi there, Joel. Great to be here. Nice to talk to you. Where have I reached you? What what city in Mexico are you in? I am in San Miguel de Allende, uh, which is in the highlands of Mexico. We're at about 8,000 feet here. And and what is it about Mexico that, that um, has drawn you there, especially to have moved there, say? Um, well, I've, I've fallen increasingly in love with the the music for years now, probably over the last 10 years, and made friendships here um, and uh, started volunteering because I lived in San Diego at the time with an organization called Border Angels. Mm-hmm. And I think being at the border, I became increasingly fascinated from a creative standpoint as well as uh from a humanitarian standpoint uh about what a what a crisis it is at the border and how unfair the situation is to so many people and but uh continued to fall in love with it and then i went down at the beginning of the pandemic we left on march 5th with the plan to do 10 cities there and then head to new york and san francisco after that and you know prior to the pandemic if you're a musician unless your legs cut off you just (laughs) you Mm -hmm. go in on stage and do the show and at that point all the venues in the states were still like saying oh the show must go on and i was uh, like oh okay must it all right guys let's go (laughs) and we were down there when everything shut down and i think during that time i I, at the beginning of the pandemic i made a great contact at a recording studio in guadalajara um and that really allowed me to finish the the record that otherwise i think would have been dead in the water so mexico's just been very good to me and i've i've increasingly grown to love it with uh with every year so i i have no no regrets about yeah. uh and and it, it, it it's influenced your music as well i mean um uh, on this album sort of the flavor or the or the rhythm of of um latin music i mean that that comes through in through some of the arrangements oh well yeah, thank you. We especially for when we did a the track from Avita, and mm. I had the Los Angeles jazz musicians playing on it, who are 
amazing. But since I was down here, I was like, you know what, I'm going to replace them and go directly to the source uh, with yeah. this, which I'm, I'm really glad we got to represent that because the string players um, that are on the record in Guadalajara don't uh, not only play with the Philharmonic, but they've also played with some of the mari- top mariachi groups mm-hmm. in the country. And so that was exciting for them to play on a type of music they don't typically get to as well. It was a real yeah. cross-cultural experience. You, you mentioned um, the song "I'd Be Surprisingly Good for You," which is not a song that we think of when we think of, say, Evita. Even um, it, it, it's such a it's a it's such a good love song, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's not one of the most well-known songs in the show. Yeah. I think for the other songs on the record, in general, we tried to pick songs that we knew you had had not been done to death, or mm-hmm. especially in a in a jazz context, but. Um, but we're still recognizable to to a lot of people, and that one in the show is is yeah the moment where she's whether it's a marriage of convenience or something more it's uh, kind of talking about that I don't want this to just be a one night stand and uh, yeah no, I was very I was very happy to to have that on there. Um, my co-producer Alex he from the get go. And he suggested the Broadway concept when we were thinking of how I would do my first cover record. And uh-huh. he was very insistent, absolutely no Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> He's like, definitely not. And I hate being told no about yeah. anything. So I was like, oh, yes, we are. And I, I had thought of that song for years and thought, you know, there's something really sexy and cool you could do with that. And now he's uh, now he's on board with it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it's a great acting piece. You know. Indeed, um, the, the, these are songs that come from Broadway shows. Now, the, the context of the song within the show that it comes from, uh, does that factor in your vocalizing? I mean, I'm thinking of maybe. You know, I mean, th- that's an orphan thinking about their parents. Um, uh, I don't know how to love him. I mean, it's about Christ. Um, are you thinking about these things as, you, as you're, you're, you're interpreting them as you are for your album? Well. Because, in a way, because they change, don't they? In, in your hands, if you will. I mean, um, maybe, for example, takes on a new new meaning altogether. Yeah, thank you for. Well, that's a that's a wonderful uh, observation. So uh, I think that's what's great about them. And there's so many songs that, uh, whether it's Gershwin or Cole Porter, that go beyond just the show they're in and have more of a universal appeal. And uh, it was great to find these ones that are not really done in a jazz context and show how they can live on their own and stand on their own, regardless of the show. Um, and I think with Maybe, obviously being sung by Annie in the, in the show, I, I had a pretty rough childhood and could relate to the experience of wanting to fantasize about a more perfect, uh, perfect union that I could have seen or been a part of. And they're, they're all great acting pieces, and so... Of course, you think of the original context when you do it, but then they're all strong enough on their own that they can kind of go beyond that. And as a singer, that's really helpful, especially in live shows, because the way you connect to a song can vary every night. I think um, this great singer-songwriter, Susan Werner, said to me when she's like, it's important that you see something and visualize something. It's not important what that is, but the audience will see it, that fire in your eyes if you're connected to the meaning, but the fun part of being a singer and actor, because they're kind of one and the same, is that every night <laughs> what what you can be visualizing, uh, you know, in your method acting uh, mm-hmm. can can change, you know. 
And, and when when you listen back to the album Broadway by Day, are, are you um, remembering some of the the things that you're thinking about at the time that you were recording? Say. Yeah, well, I think we did a lot of it live, so it's it's certainly easier when you're with other people in the moment, I think, to stay in it. Yeah. Overdubbing can be really tough because it's just you kind of in a cold, austere control booth, and, and you're not able to react off of the audience or the other musicians being in the present moment. So I'm very happy we were able to get as much of the record live as we were. And, and um, you uh, are known also as, as, as someone who plays the piano. Um, you play the piano on the album, don't you? Um, on, on some of it. Oh, the majority yeah. of it is actually played by a great pianist, Gary Matsumoto. I see, who's, okay. You know, far superior. As a singer-songwriter, I think I'm, I'm a pretty solid pianist. But when it comes to jazz, I was like, why am I going to mess around with this when I can go with someone that world-class? And it also freed me up to focus on the singing, mm. I think, um, and the performance. Since the goal was to get as much of this live as as possible. Yeah, I would. And I, as a layman who who doesn't sing or perform or, or play any instrument, I, I would think it's hard to, to say play the piano and sing at the same time while you're recording. I mean, I can see it work if you're in a, in a, a live situation, but for an album, I would think it's a little different. I mean, what's your experience been in that regard? Yeah, it, it kind of depends. I think with my own songs that I've written, it's it's easier because I know exactly how they're going to go. And mm. some of these arrangements are more complicated. And exactly what you were saying, I think knowing that time is money and <laughs> and you only have so much time in the studio, whatever will allow each person to focus on their, you know, on their their responsibility the most. And and I think especially with this project, singing the music of other people and being featured as the lead vocalist on it, that um, he just is such a great accompanist to, around songs and jazz standards that I just uh, I just felt I would go. <laughs> I would go to the, the top level uh, I could, but I think, I think you're right. It's, it's, in a way, it's just one more thing to think about that could potentially get messed up if you're trying to do it all in one take. Yeah, but, you, know, you know, Bally High is a song that I've been a, an agnostic about. I, I, I um, enjoyed it in the, in the show and the movie, but I, I never thought of it as a, a piece outside of the film. But in, in, in on Broadway by Day, it's such a, such a terrific number. And I'm wondering how you Thank got you. to that. I mean, how, how did the arrangement, how, how did you think about that and, and, and wanting to, say, do that song for this album? That's actually one of the first ones that I thought about, and I think because of where I grew up in rural Utah, uh -huh. and so I didn't really care about the plot of the rest of the movie at the time all that much when I was you know, seven years old, but that number is this fantastical technicolor escape you know, sequence, and yeah. I think harmonically I always found it really, really beautiful and, and haunting. I, I also think it's really interesting that two... Jewish men on the Lower East Side of New York who had never been to a tropical island are writing about what they think it sounds like because it doesn't really sound like Polynesian music, yeah. but in a way they created their own genre, which would be incorporated, you know, by the Exotica movement of the late uh, of the late fifties and early sixties. And for me, the, I, I just did when we started singing through songs, that's how we picked them. It just seemed like a really natural fit for my voice. And, and I kind of picked it precisely for that reason, because I know a lot of people don't really think of it yeah. 
outside of the show or beyond that context, really. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's one of the things. I mean, I've listened to the album now a couple of times over. Um, I've gone back to that um, more than once because I, I just find it's, it's a fascinating thing to listen to um, in, in terms of, of what you do with your voice and, and how it works with the arrangement and then, of course, the, the original song itself. Um, do you have a, um, a list? I mean, there's, there's 12 um, songs on this album. I mean, the, the album could have been twice as long with some of the, th- the other things you were considering. Um, w- was it a hard process to, say, nail down the 12 that, that, are, that we hear on the, on the, on the disc? Oh, ab- absolutely. And as we were doing it, because Alex, my co-producer, is the one who suggested... Broadway, because I've had record labels and Sirius Satellite Radio and many fans say, when are you going to do a covers record? Because when I do a show live, I always want to do it. But as a singer-songwriter, I also feel like, you know, Fly Me to the Moon is a perfectly fine song. But unless I can think of something new, I want to do it. As as a original composer, I, I was like, we have to we have to think of something unique that we can really put our signature stamp on. And so settling on the Broadway theme, we quickly realized how many great songs there are that aren't done to death. I mean, I love Gershwin and Cole Porter, but a lot more of those have been covered. Mm-hmm. And as we were doing it, we realized oh, we could do four albums yeah. <laughs> worth of all the great songs from, you know, I don't know, Caroline or Change or, or Oliver and just so many shows that we didn't get a chance to get to. And with this, because we did a lot of it just playing live with the guys, it really just came down to what was going to be the most effortless to pull off and fit with my voice. And we tried not to really overthink it. But at the same time in the process, we were definitely uh, – I wouldn't say that we were frustrated, but we were – we had to accept the reality that we weren't going to be able to get to all the fantastic songs right. we wanted mm-hmm. to, to get to. <laughs> well, there's always Broadway by day two, I guess, right? I hope. I yeah. mean, I think if people, if people enjoy it as much as they seem to be enjoying this one, we certainly would love to to do it. We've got a great method for working together, and we know all the musicians we'd like to work with again. Yeah, the, Dave Cause appears on the album, uh, a, a marvelous uh, uh, solo that he has in, on uh, If I Loved You from Carousel. Um, Jane Monheit is, is one of my favorite uh, singers, and, and uh, I've been listening to her for years, and, and, and hearing her with you, it, it's, it's just a, such a delight, because that's a song that we all know from, from Hello, Dolly. It only takes a moment. Um, and it works with, with the two of your voices so well. Uh, was that fun working with Jane? Oh, yeah. I mean, she's, I think the first time I got, to, I'd heard the recordings, and of course, as you did, um, found her voice always to be really impeccable and her yeah. phrasing great. But I think during the time when she she agreed to, to sign on and do a track with us on it, I got to go see her live in New York and really was just able to appreciate the spontaneity that she brings to it so it made it really easy and she actually had just seen the show hello dolly the production with betty buckley which unfortunately i've still not been able to see the new production so she actually had the idea of doing that and then yeah the whole process when you're working with people that good which all of the musicians i was able to play with were is just so effortless you know you can really focus on the fun and of course she swings better than pretty much any other singer i know (laughs) And, and, and working with Dave, I mean, um, he, he's such a, a marvelous player himself. I mean, 
that must be fun to, to, to hear um, him on a track with you. I mean, as a fan, I'm, I'm sure you can hardly believe it sometimes. Yeah, well, he, I mean, we were both signed to Concord Records probably 12 years ago, and he called me out of the blue. I'm not sure who from my record label gave me, <laughs> gave him my phone number, yeah. but he said, hey, this is Dave Cuz, how are you? And I was like, well, I, I, know, I know who you are. <laughs> but he just heard my first record, Vagabond, which I released with Concord, and loved it. And he's been a huge champion of mine ever since, which I appreciate so much, and he's really used his platform to champion my original works and and once again much like Jane I was very honored that they both agreed to be a part a part of the record and it was a really wonderful chance for him to do what he does so well and then also put it in this great Stan Getz uh you know Tom Jobim yeah. Brazilian era bossa nova which which was great to hear as well you mentioned your previous album, uh, one of your previous albums, Vagabond. Um, I went back to listen to, to your, your your other work uh, over the last few days as I was preparing for a chat. There's a song on Vagabond called Joe, and you'll probably understand why uh, I took an interest to, to uh, listening to that song. Um, is it about someone in particular? No, I kind of picked the name Joe because it's kind of, you know, it's a fairly common, <laughs> fairly common name, and uh, it just kind of fit the melody. To be quite honest, I'd love to tell you it was about someone in particular, but it it seemed to be, it seemed to represent a lot of people, and I think a lot of people who leave home, or in some cases run away from home, in in hopes of finding a place they can be accepted, or or, you know, hopefully the 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 the, the allure that California has that there might be a better life or a way that dreams can be fulfilled. And a lot of times that actually doesn't end up happening. It's a good song. And, um, um, and not just because I, I shared the name, but um, I, I enjoyed going back and, and listening to it. Um, as someone who writes music, um, and this, this comes back to the songs on uh, Broadway by Day, um, you obviously learn something when you perform someone else's um, music and, and lyrics. Does that influence how you'll write later on, say? Oh, for sure. I think so. One thing that Alex, my co-producer, Alex Frank, was really helpful with is really understanding how to swing. Because it's not that I couldn't do it at all, but I he had me listen to so much Frank Sinatra as we were getting ready to do this. And I'd always liked Frank Sinatra, but maybe when I was younger because of the type of baritone I have, I kind of avoided listening to him and thinking it was too easy or not wanting to get more comparisons to him or Michael Buble in the process. Sure. And I think my ability to swing and also just, I, I've produced every record that I've done or co-produced it with someone, but I think, you know, you turn around and you're 43 and somehow you actually really know what you're doing <laughs> in the studio. So I think I have, I think this is the best sounding record that we've done in terms of knowing what instruments to leave in, where there needs to be pockets of silence and having some tracks which are very sparse or, you know, just solo piano and then tracks that can be pretty lush and, and full with the strings and all the percussion and everything too. So I think my ability as a producer and arranger has been vastly improved that I think when I do my next project of original music, 
I absolutely will be able to pull from these experiences. And and when you're singing, uh, because you do write uh, b- both music and lyrics, um, what are you thinking about in terms of what you're performing? I mean, as a listener, I guess I, I, I'm listening to the words, but, but I'm also listening to the music at the same time. I'm wondering, how does that work for, for the vocalist, say? Well, it's, it's really a trick because obviously there's so much technically going on with your body about where you breathe and, and how you want to phrase it. And ideally, even though I'm a singer-songwriter, I still come from the jazz school enough that I rarely sing something exactly the same way twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're thinking about all the technical parts of, of playing piano and singing at the same time, but just as important, it's, it's really tough because at the same time, as I'm sure you've seen, if you're too much just into the technical part, you leave the audience pretty cold. You're not including them. And that's where being an actor, and as I was saying before, having something you can really be visualizing and connecting with is, is so important. And the best jazz musicians, and that was one thing, actually going back to Jane, one thing mm-hmm. I really appreciated about her was her ability to to be so technically precise, but still really in the words and communicating that to the audience. Yeah, and and um, there are two songs on the album uh, uh, from cor- from a chorus line. Um, one uh, starts the album, and then "What I Did for Love" ends the album. And and um, you know these are songs that, that people have heard hundreds of times over the years. But um, I get the feeling as I'm listening to you sing them they're taking on new meaning are they yes um absolutely i think one thing that's exciting is they are such well-known songs but within the jazz context they're not you know so they're they're much more known to the world than they are people who live just in the heavy duty you know uh mainstream jazz world so it was a great way to take these songs and put them in a context that Simultaneously, we, we hope will surprise people who have known the songs for years because they're hearing them in a way they haven't before. And also reminding a lot of the, the jazz elitist snobs how many, <laughs> how many good songs Broadway has given them because there unfortunately does tend to be a trend in the mainstream instrumental jazz community of really deriding Broadway and viewing it as kind of cheesy or, or too commercial. And, and we feel like we've successfully uh, introduce these songs in a new context. Yeah, like I'm, I'm thinking of, of um, not, um, not just your own recording of On the Street Where You Live from My Fair Lady, but I mean, My, My Fair Lady itself has been covered so many times by jazz musicians over the years that, that um, you know, Broadway is such a, a rich uh, place to get material, isn't it? Absolutely, and like like you were saying too, there's there's so much as a singer you can attach to in terms of a story and a story that can live independently in that song. And uh, I think with uh, what I did for love, which you mentioned, with that one, I just assumed it was a love song. And actually, Alex, my co-producer, because his dad was a conductor on Broadway, knows way more about these shows. And I grew up in a very religious town, so we could only watch G-rated. Video, <laughs> video cassettes. So it was either MGM musicals or Disney movies. So I opted for the latter. But Chorus Line was not one we were allowed to watch, and so I just assumed it was about 
love and the things you do for a romantic relationship. And he explained to me the context of how it's really about if you could not dance tomorrow, if you could never sing again or dance, what would you mm. say about it? And really about the sacrifices as an artist you have to give up in order to do it. I think like a lot of people during the pandemic, I, I had a breakup, which is with someone who I still admire and care about very much. But I, I there, there's been a, a lot of loss. And in order to pursue a life in the arts, there's there's a, a lot of sacrifice and a lot of a lot of lonely moments you spend uh, you spend doing that. So thanks to Alex and him explaining that, I, I had an awful lot. Personally, I could pull on, and I think a lot of artists during the pandemic watching all of our work evaporate <laughs> overnight, you know, uh, it, it gave me a lot to work with. I'd like to know what it's been like, Spencer, for, for over the last couple of years. Um, you've just alluded to it. I mean, work has evaporated. Um, what, how has your relationship with music changed? I mean, it's obviously been a closer relationship in that you're not able to share, um, say, music with other people, whether that be people you work with or audiences. Um, does it take on a new meaning in the, over the pandemic, say? I mean, are you listening to music differently? Are you writing music differently than than you were, say, two years ago? I think the beginning of the pandemic, I think everyone, as you, I'm sure we, we all have has had our own uh, private dark night of the soul mm -hmm. with the pandemic in terms of, of how it affected us. But uh, I, I think I started off the pandemic, which was maybe out of necessity, with a very manic, almost workaholic attitude of let's get to work, let's keep writing, let's keep producing, and using this time creatively and then i think a slump hit me about a year and a half in where i was like man this is still dra mm -hmm. <laughs> dragging on and it became harder to maintain that optimism i think and and the part i'm i'm really happy is despite that that we were able to finish this record against all these odds um i think that there's a lot this record i really wanted to be just about enjoyment because it's it's such ear candy mm. that I thought that the people could really use that at this point. But I do have a lot of thoughts in terms of uh, more original songs coming up about maybe some heavier themes about what I've learned about the human condition and how we all suffered withdrawals from our addiction to the illusion of certainty. Mm. You know, we were, we, there was so much that, that came up and, and I, I think the hard part is there's a lot of heartbreak, not just in terms of losing the work, but our disappointment in our fellow man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that was really hard and also a concern about if we can't have some shared truth that we can all agree on mm -hmm. about, you know, just simple science or whatever, then we're really, we're really lost. And at the same time as an artist, I feel like our responsibility is to keep believing that we can bring people together and and it's part of our our duty is despite how hard that is to to maintain that optimism even against all those odds so and i think my pandemic experience has been so bizarre because of how i ended up in another country and lost my relationship and you know dusted myself off to finish that that there's been so many things that were hard about the, the the loss of work and the loss of faith in my fellow man <laughs> but
But um, there were all these hidden blessings that came out of it, too. And I think the world, in a way, needed for this to happen. I think we were all charging forward um, in a, you know, a free-for-all of consumerism. And I, I wish more people had learned a lesson and taken more out of it. But I guess just focusing on myself, I'm, I'm happy in that sense that I learned an awful lot. Um, and learn to, to let go of things and in a way and also not take an audience for granted. Not that mm-hmm. I ever did before, sure. especially, but realizing what a gift and honor that is to bring people together to celebrate our shared humanity instead of focusing on our differences. And we saw so much focusing on our differences. Um, I'm reminded of what a gift and responsibility it is to be able to go in front of people and to try to heal people. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Um, Spencer, I've enjoyed the album a great deal. Congratulations on it, and and, uh, good luck with it. Uh, We'll look forward to um, more music and and hopefully uh, live performance uh, very soon. Absolutely, Joe. It's been such a pleasure. The website for more is at spencerday.com. The album is called Broadway by Day. It's from Club 44 Records. Spencer Day joined me from San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Plunder.